You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and it gives me enormous pleasure to bring to you today the interdimensional ABK, which is to say the stand-up comedian and kind of creative genius that is Alistair Beckett King. Uh, I am a huge fan of Alistair's work. I saw him in Edinburgh back when it existed and uh, also... I tell you what, if you were listening to the first few minutes of this and are undecided and thinking, oh, am I going to dig this guy? Uh, I highly recommend you follow the link on the show notes, which I have called That Incredible Trailer. And you will see a two minute trailer in the style of kind of Ulysses and Thundercats and shows like that from the 80s. Uh, in which he created entirely himself using the animating techniques of those shows. It's one of the best individual things I think I've ever seen a comic produce. And if you fancy getting into the mind of someone who um, uh, who produces that, uh, and or indeed if just simply how excited I'm about it, my voice now makes you think, I won't bother watching it, I'll watch it after. Uh, if neither of those things are true, then please continue to listen. This is an excellent interview with an excellent performer, and there are 20 minutes of extra content available for you, um, including Alistair talking about scripting video games, and he gives a brilliant example of using jokes as a means of hiding internal mechanics in the games. Uh, and we also talk about uh, why people think he dies a lot more often than he does. He's a very robust comic, but he looks like an arty wimp. So uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that in the Insiders Club. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for that and much, much more, all of the extra stuff from every episode that has it. And thank you to you if you have recently signed up to the Insiders Club. A couple of people have um, jumped in in the last week and it's great to have you on board. All that being said, pin back your ears, uh, drag some sort of ancient narwhal tusk comb through your barnet and enjoy this interview with Alistair Beckett King. So welcome to the show, Alistair Beckett King, or ABK, which is, it must be so nice to have such a neat set of initials that are uniquely identifiable. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you think that that's a good feature. Um, I remember being told by a, a, a uh, I'm already thinking, can I say things so that you're going to cut? I was about to say Hills Jago. I can talk about Hills Jago? You can talk about Hills Jago. I remember, I'm sure I remember Hills Jago saying, um, you can't have a long name. How's that going to fit on billboards? <laughs> and it hasn't been a problem thus far probably specifically because of the length of the name um i don't remember anyone telling ramesh his name was too long but uh i don't yeah so i have i've abbreviated it to abk occasionally 
And you, and when I think of ABK, the first thing I think of is the interdimensional ABK, which I have to say, well, let's, let's start with that because, well, should we start with that? I don't want to sort of give people the impression that you are solely an animator. I tell you what we'll start with. The most I'm, recent I'm time. An animator. <laughs> the I'm most scarcely recent, a, an animator. The most recent time I saw you was at Chops Comedy Club online uh, on on my Twitch channel, which I'm not going to mention here. It'll be in the show notes. People can find it. But <laughs> you just knocked it out of the park. I knew that what you did would go down well. You'd done the Infinite Sofa a couple of times, so you were familiar with the kind of the tone of, of the, the room yep. in inverted commas. So I knew you were going to do well because I knew that what you would do, in short, I knew that what you do would really appeal to my nerds, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, there I'm, are a lot of nerds in that room, let's be honest. Uh, there's, a, there's a few nerds What there. a bunch of nerds. <laughs> and I've seen you live at Edinburgh a couple of times, and you enormously appealed to my inner nerd. Your take on comedy, such as it has become over the last few years since I first gigged with you in maybe the Camden Head some time ago, mm. um, uh, you seem to me to have really grown into this identity as, if not if not always the interdimensional ABK, but a, an eccentric outsider who has kind of tones of Doctor Who, but who has, like, your take on comedy is so erudite and wordy and inventive and imaginative that... I just knew it was going to play well. And it did. There were three or four. I don't know what how much of the gallery view you had on during that show. I, I couldn't see them at all. Uh, People because... were crying laughing. There was one person, Ali, who was crying, I would say, for 20 minutes. Who <laughs> just like you just she was on one of those kind of juggle combo rolling laughs that she couldn't get her breath. It was fantastic. Well, that's so lovely. Let... But the context of that is that that's an excessively supportive room and by no <laughs> means representative of what my previews are normally like. <laughs> Fair. Very much, uh, a, a, yeah, a, a, a too supportive, too nice room. Yes, false well, positives left, right and centre. I haven't done yeah. a preview for like six months. Sure, sure. And you were very, you were very nervous going into it as I was well, extremely you? nervous going into it. I mean, I was extremely nervous coming into this because it feels like a job interview for a, a job that I already have, <laughs> except that I don't do it at the moment. Well, it's if very you fuck, weird. If you fuck this, if you fuck up ComCom Pod, you get sacked from ComCom. Yeah, I mean, I, I had always <laughs> suspected that I was a comedian uh, and there was never any proof. But now I'm on this, I have a chance <laughs> to demonstrate that I am a comedian. But uh, there's so much at, sca- at stake here. <laughs> what what do you think of that that my rendition of how I see you does that is that how you see yourself yeah, uh, yeah eccentric outsider that's what I'm going for that's what I always want I don't know if that's what I am but it's what I always wanted to be I didn't want to be from I'm from I grew up in the northeast of England I don't have a very strong regional accent because I specifically didn't want to get one when I was a kid because I didn't want to be from there I didn't want to be from anywhere particularly I wanted to be different I didn't want to join in and do what everyone else was doing. It's quite pathetic, really. No, no, no. Well, I mean, perhaps, but but I mean, it's very, it's very relatable. <laughs> Worked out all right. It's very I turned relatable. Turned into a shtick. Yeah, there we are. Um, talk to me about what everyone else was like then that you wanted to be so different from. You are, as for the benefit of the listener, you are a profoundly red-headed man. I am. Like, yes. So you you were kind of inescapably different in one respect. Yeah, although there's quite a lot of redheads in the northeast, um, oh, it's you know it's it's like Scotland in that respect. But yeah, no, I've got long red hair, which I, but but which I suppose I have to take some responsibility for having grown that. I could have cut it short, as is stylish 
in the you've, you've lent it let's say you've lent into your very red hair it's very very red and there is a lot of it which yeah, is clearly a decision at all yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so, so what were you? What were you trying to be different from? I really relate to that. Like growing up in an environment where I thought this, whatever this is, it isn't for me. I want to be different, and I'm going to bend the rest of my life to my will in that pursuit. I've got my own reasons for doing that. What, what were you being different from, and why? Well, I don't think it. I don't think it's about being different from. I think it's about um, not being part of the group for any reason at all. Like, um, one of the things I hate the most is when uh everybody sings together or when everyone is dancing or if there's a, a bit in a comedy show where you have to join in i hate being in the audience for that because i don't want to do that um and uh i've seen it watching qi um there was a, a, one a, one episode of it that all the panelists begin to sing a, a, a song and the camera cuts away quickly from Stephen Fry's face, and I completely identify with Stephen Fry because <laughs> I can see how intensely uncomfortable he is with the fact that everybody else is singing because he will not and cannot join in. And uh, for me, that was a delightful moment. You know, we talk about seeing yourself represented, <laughs> seeing his discomfort as everybody else sings. Are there, was, are there, are there thought, any limits? Yes, I recognise that completely. I don't want to join in. I don't want to be doing the thing everybody else is doing. I can't do it. When, Are there any exceptions to that rule? I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm sort of guessing here, I'm, I may be wrong, I would imagine you enjoy, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Uh, yes, I've, I've listened to it. I'm not a huge, okay, fine, huge fine. aficionado. But I'm just thinking of moments in rooms when I have absolutely joined in. And it's with like the in-jokes in that, like the arrival of the lovely Samantha and everyone applauds for that. And it's kind of, that's a joining in joke. Right. Oh. So there are t- there are different types of joining in. Right. Yes, absolutely. No, that um, that is something that I like. Um, and and in my stuff, try to engineer stuff where um, essentially the premise of the show is, hey, I know this isn't true, but just play along. Just play along with this bit and it's going to yes. go somewhere interesting. And yes, Samantha in that is a great example of that. Um, and in the interdimensional ABK show, I claim to be from another dimension. I'm obviously not. It isn't important that that isn't true. In fact, it's important that it's not true, but that we all just play along with it and go along with that being true because I've I've written jokes based on it. Sure, sure, sure. And if the audience buy into it, but still, that's that's them joining in that I enjoy more than me joining in. I see. Okay. So what... And do you have any pet theories as to what that stems from? Was there some... Were you kind of forced to join in a thing as a kid? Or, Or was there a general sense of like school where... You there was pressure put on you that you resisted, or is it simply that you kind of looked at the world around you and arrogantly thought, "Yeah, it's that one. <laughs> I'll have none of this." <laughs> yes, no, it's that one. Um, I I just looked at the world around me and it did not meet my high standards, and I and I said, "No, not good enough for ABK." No, it is. I think it pro- it is the the uh, pathetic arrogance of youth that I've just carried through into adulthood. And uh, what kind of a what kind of a youth were you? What was your family situation like when you were a kid? Have you got siblings? What who who are you as a as a I, person outside of all this? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just a regular human being. I've got a younger sister um, and uh, a mum and a dad. And so I, I, I grew up in County Durham, and I'm, I'm middle class by Durham standards. Um, both my parents worked, and um, I, I talk like this. So I'm I was very very middle class, and then I moved to London, and it turns out that I'm like lower middle class by London standards because middle class in London is you have a pool and you know the prime minister. So it's very <laughs> it's very weird to realise that my class position has shifted as I have geographically moved downwards. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it, ordinary. It, it felt very ordinary, the Northeast. And it, I like, I now feel very nostalgic for it and how I don't live there. Um, but uh, there are things that I don't miss about it. Like, um, like I, I, because I've got red hair, I spent most of my childhood and teenage years just being heckled in the street regularly, like on an hourly basis. Which it is one isn't of those very things upsetting. That, that people think you're allowed to do, even now. It's, you can uh, just shout at a ginger. Yeah, I don't know what it's not. I don't, it doesn't upset me particularly, you know. Uh, and I think there are people who sort of make spurious parallels with uh, racism and other forms of prejudice, which uh, aren't uh, tenable. But it is annoying, and so I've developed a sort of tunnel vision. Um, so people who are walking with me will sort of look at me and say, "Did you hear that, what that person said?" Or um, "Didn't you notice that person looking at you?" And I, no, I never noticed those things. I'm just in my own mind, doing my own thing, I'm completely focused. I'm not, re- I'm not very aware of what's going on around me because I'm not that interested most of the time. When, when did that start? When did that kind of public heckling of your hair start? <laughs> when did the public humiliation begin? <laughs> and how did because, you try and monetize it? We might, you know, we might lazily draw a parallel between that and, you know, comedy and the comedian wanting to control the way in which you're laughed at, control the way people react to you. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I know it's absolutely that. Um, but the, the annoying thing was, you know, people would, would sort of heckle me and I would sort of do a, I would just sort of do a funny response, like, like play, rolling with it. Yeah. Like, I would sort of impro it and then they would not get the joke. And so it wouldn't work. <laughs> and that was very frustrating. Yeah. It's like casting pearls before swine. Um, so I, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if. Yeah, you're probably right. It's just, it's all quite pathetic, isn't it? A sort of adolescent arrogance that I have just spun into uh, some jokes. Well, I think adolescent arrogance that has been spun into some jokes could sum up quite a lot of comics. <laughs> if not careers, then they're, they're starting yeah, points. I there it. is a whole genre of comedy, which is, here's how that argument would have gone if I had won it. Yes, there really is, isn't there? Ed Byrne is kind of the yes. king of that genre, I would say. Yeah. Yes, and it, and it can be wonderful. And I've definitely got jokes that fall into that category. Um, or here was the one time I actually said something witty off the cuff, presented <laughs> as if I do that all the time. I've and I've tweaked, I've tweaked all of the elements such that it's <laughs> even wittier and I had even less chance to think of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so something I noticed about your your work is that it has a sort of willful i don't i wouldn't say obtuseness but there is something willful about it in that i wonder whether you are calling out to other outsiders that's interesting yeah um that's one of the things i like about comedy but i don't know i don't know where my stuff stands really because um you know sometimes when i if i do like a like a very clubby club with um, sort of uh, weather-beaten, road-hardened acts um, and, and do well, I'll get sort of a backhanded compliment from people. You know, the kind of people who've been sort of 30 years in the game will say something like, very brave of you to go out with such intelligent material. <laughs> uh, which I never know, is that kindness or am I being undermined subtly? Um, sure. Uh, the thing is, though, I don't, I don't think my material is is exceptionally intelligent. You don't need to know... Like I make ref, I don't think it's that nerdy. Like some people are good at maths. I can't do any maths. Um, I'm, I'm, I think it might be a learning difficulty. I'm that bad at maths. Um, and I don't think you need to know any of the references 
that are in my stuff to understand the punchlines. None of the punchlines hang on you knowing some obscure fact That's or detail. Yes. I don't make jokes. Like Schrodinger's cat has somehow become a, a semi-mainstream joke idea um, in the last few years. But I still think it's too. I think that's too niche uh, a concept to hang a punchline on without having explained, because you can't guarantee. I wouldn't do. I would do a joke about that, except I think it's gone a bit. It's a bit overplayed. Mm-hmm. But it's both a bit stale and a bit fresh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one for one for the nerds in Stu's uh, in Stu's little couch sofa lounge. Couch sofa lounge. Some I couldn't remember the name of your show there. So <laughs> that's fine. The Infinite Sofa. That's what it's called. Um, what was I saying? Um, so, yeah, sorry, so, so that you wouldn't so like, hang a punchline off that because it, ref, it it depends on already knowing some information and that isn't yeah. the sort of stuff you do. Well, I I don't want it to be just... I, I want there to be stuff in there for people who, who are into the same things I'm into, um, but I don't, want, I don't want that to be the punchline. Like, somewhat, I've got a bit about William Blake's Proverbs of Hell. Um, classic, classic pants. <laughs> um but you don't need to have heard of William Blake. None of the punchlines are riffs on William Blake's life and works, obviously, yeah. because in spite of being the one of the greatest English writers and artists, he's not that famous. Uh, you, but you, the 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 joke structure is just I read a bit of poetry and then I say something that I wrote that's stupid, mm-hmm. and that's very funny because my stupid things undermine the very good writing of William Blake. And that's the joke. It's not. Yeah. There's, there's nothing intelligent about that. It's just sensible, silly, sensible, silly, sensible, silly. That's the. That's that. Why? Why does that seem intelligent? Is it because of the way I talk? Is it because I'm reading it out of a book? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I wonder. I'm just sort of visualizing a sort of chicken in a basket Saturday night club audience. Almost, I could imagine them bristling at the simple fact that the the subtext of the joke is that you have read some william blake and i haven't <laughs> <laughs> well you yeah you would think i was never uh, you would think that bit doesn't work in clubs but it does it works really well um at least as consistently well as my act works in clubs which is fairly well like i think mm. i think people assume i'm dying all the time because it's <laughs> because I, i'm just coming in with my sort of carefully woven whimsy and I, I don't die that often. Like people enjoy it. It is accessible. Yeah. Um, yes, there is something about the the. There's something about the look of you, and I know you've got brilliant jokes about your appearance. And I remember very trying to persuade jokes you about my appearance. Yeah, oh, absolutely, very accessible. I remember trying to persuade you you should do one about looking like a brass rubbing, but I, I think you've probably already done that. <laughs> yeah, I think I. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, I might have done that. <laughs> but you, you have such a particular look, and you make no even that. Even, like I wouldn't do a joke about the writings of William Blake predominantly because I haven't read any of the writings of William Blake, I'm ashamed to admit. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big hurdle. Um, that's a, I mean, it's I a fairly think. big hurdle. But also I would I would worry, wrongly, I think, I, I think to do a joke that refers even to William Blake, however sort of simply, and however much the punchline doesn't hang on previous knowledge, but I think in doing that, you are sensibly playing to the highest intelligence in the audience. And I, I somehow shy away of that. And I think it's to my detriment because I I worry that... Oh, what if I alienate people? But there is something about you and, for example, your long hair that that sort of you don't seem... It's not that you don't care whether you alienate people. There is something uncompromising about your you-ness. Do you think? Well, I... 
the the goal for me and the the nice thing about when those kind of bits work is there's there's two things it's that it makes an audience feel clever i think when you do a clever joke and they think if an audience thinks i'm not sure i'm going to get this and then they do get the punchline that's a nice feeling mm-hmm. so it makes it does obviously Obviously, it does have the unfortunate side effect of making me seem terribly clever and likable, which is <laughs> purely accidental. But but the main goal is the charitable one of making the audience feel clever, I think. like So I have a, an opening joke of mine, um, which I still do, because why would I stop? It's good, is uh, I, um, I compare my appearance to John the Baptist, and then I do a little mime where I make myself look like a famous painting of John the Baptist. And you don't, you probably, I think, you don't know that you get that reference until I do the mime. You might not, you, you know, you might not know John the Baptist specifically that well. Okay. But as soon as you see the mime, you go, oh yeah, I've seen that painting. Okay. And, and, it, and it gets a very good laugh. And the part of that is people going, oh yes, I do know what he's talking about. I do understand yes. this. This seemed yes. like it was a bit of obscure nonsense, but actually it's a joke I get. Isn't yes. isn't that extra fun? Isn't that extra nice? And do you? Sorry, go on. No, I was just saying. The other nice thing is, in a weekend club, you know. So I've got, you know, if I'm doing a, like a twenty set, um, I've got like five minutes at the start, which are all just jokes about my appearance. There's nothing terribly sophisticated about that. My that that John the Baptist joke is essentially a I know what you're thinking. Sure. Uh, here's someone I look like joke. I've just disguised it so it doesn't seem like it is, and. What's nice is it's really, really nice sort of to have, you know, when there's a rowdy, poppy, as you say, chicken in a basket gig, 15 minutes later to be able to pull out a book and start talking about William Blake and have people be quiet in the bits where they need to be quiet because they want to hear what I'm going to say. It doesn't always work. I'm not arrogant or or naive or unself-aware enough to think that I always get away with it. And I don't always get to leave the pauses because sometimes I realize I've just, I've just got to get to these lines otherwise somebody's going to chip in with something but a lot of the time uh, uh, people are quiet because they're, they're they're listening now and that's really really nice that i can make them be quiet as well as laugh when i want them to laugh mm. when i can mm. do that it's very very nice so this is alistair a tremendous joy it's one of those hear it in my voice episodes loving talking to abk uh, and we'll get right back to it after these messages these messages in this case being that you should go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to hear more from abk about his uh, awful uh, film school criticism experience and uh, and also scripting video games and also other things besides um really difficult to make the decision about what to put the insiders in this because I wanted to leave it all in and I wanted to keep it all secret. Uh, So back to this in just a second. Thank you if you are one of the people who's responded to the soft launch of my uh, comedyinsights.com website. Have a look in there. The link is in the show notes to find out what I can do to cheer up and uh, energise your business people, your staff members, if you're the sort of person that has staff members. Here is something nice that a uh, a ComCom listener who then booked me to talk to his major FMCG company, and I don't know what FMCG means, um, but uh, this was from Matt, who uh, who said, we booked Stu to talk to our team about resilience, and the feedback from all attendees was incredibly positive. Stu's an engaging speaker who mixes humour with brilliant advice. His sessions sparked many thoughts and conversations 
conversation points that we wouldn't normally discuss together as colleagues and it encouraged people to open up as they considered implementing some of the techniques discussed to improve resilience. Isn't it a shame that the word discussed when said out loud can be heard as two different words? Um, thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed talking to your people enormously. And apologies to you, the casual listener who does not have a business that could employ me for making you sit through me reading out a nice description of what it is I do. I try never to do that about the podcast or indeed my comedy. But look, there's potentially life-sustaining uh, income on the line here. So you will, and I'm telling you, you will, you will forgive me if I briefly divert to talking about that. That's all the middle bit, though. If you want to uh, communicate with me in some way, you can do that at ComComPod or indeed info at comedianscomedian.com. Sorry for the lateness of my replies, but I do reply to everything. Uh, let's get back to the interdimensional ABK. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I was positing, I suppose, that um, your work is a kind of call to other outsiders, your, your work in comedy. And I suppose also I must confess that part of why I like it if if challenged, I will have to admit that it does make me feel clever for having got it. Because, you know what I mean? Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but some of the bits, one of the bits I remember really standing out from from your show at Edinburgh 2019. Um, so that was, was my, the, my second hour. The that was only your second hour? Oh, that was my second okay. hour, yes. Very, um, very, very lazy. <laughs> hardly, <laughs> hardly written any shows. Your the bit about numbers, which you then reprised on the chat show recently. The bit about numbers, if they contained as many, if the word for the number, the name of the number, contained as many letters as the number itself. Yes, it annoys me very much that four has the same number of letters as four, but none of the others have the same number of letters. <laughs> could you just so we know what we're talking about here? I won't ask you to massacre the bit, but could you tell us the first few? Yeah, well, you, you it, it, to be fair, it won't really work in audio because what you need to see them written down you need to see in a monotype yeah, font, true. so yes, you can yes. see a monospaced font, so you can see that they get longer with no no kerning. Um, but it's <clears throat> so one to ten is oo two three four good old four <laughs> five six seven eight. Nine. That one's just got loads of eyes and tendermank. It's very, <laughs> it's, very straightforward. It is such a beautiful bit, and it speaks to. I don't know what it speaks to. Something in me, which is kind of like, I. It made me feel like a kid. It made me feel like I'd watched episode one of Red Dwarf for the first time. Do you know what I mean? I kind <laughs> oh, of went, yeah, oh, a, I like this sense of humour. I like this. Yes. 
imagination. I like the it felt science fictiony. I guess that's to do with the the screen that it was on and the font and all the rest of it. And it just kind of I I watched it and I thought here is a person who likes a lot of the same stuff I like, but has a better imagination than I do. <laughs> and it was one of those moments. I mean, there was a lot of stuff like that in the in the show, but that was the one that particularly stands out. It was one of those shows that I came away from thinking. I will make an appointment to see everything this guy does. Well, that's great. I mean, uh, that's particularly nice because uh, I think you saw either the worst or the second worst outing of that oh, show. Oh, come, in come, ABK. No, I, we're I'm, better than that. This isn't. <laughs> this is not false modesty. I think the one you were in, uh, a school friend uh, had come and sat on the front row and smiled supportively without laughing at any point in the oh, entire show. That would be murderous. And so it, it, you and two, you, you very kindly brought two friends of yours. Um, yes, and I think the three Loved of it. you. The reason you may have thought it was going well is that they were laughing either side of you creating a stereo <laughs> effect, but the rest of the room was silent and furious. It was not silent and furious. It may not have been your best gig, but it was it, it was, was really it was good. Very much. I, in fact, it was very nice that you were there because it, it's when you have one like that with a school friend who thinks, just thinks, wow, he's deluded. He can't do this. Um, yes, of course. How, how has he got to this point of having a run at <laughs> Edinburgh if he can't do it? Not realising that sometimes... Everyone can't do it sometimes. It just doesn't work sometimes. How are you with that? How are you, just while we're on that, how is your kind of resilience? How is your ability to to function during a show which, like I, sometimes, that, that thing, a person you went to school with smiling supportively yeah. would make my personality collapse in on itself. Or would, I mean, these days, obviously far less so. I'm kind of trying to get in touch with the most vulnerable parts of myself. Yeah. And as I very frequently do, being far too self-deprecating on this show, uh, brackets, <laughs> I am an excellent comedian. But <laughs> but those those things, like to see that, that particularly a school friend, that strikes to the very core of the children yeah. who no longer exist that I'm somehow <laughs> trying to impress. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's exactly... It, it's exactly that. I I was very nervous about talking to you on this because because of that because because of my tendency towards being self-deprecating. I've often I've, I've talked myself out of gigs and opportunities by yeah. being what I thought was polite in English and then realizing yeah. that people took me seriously and thought that yeah. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just like to add the brackets that I also am good and accessible <laughs> um, and can do comedy. But yeah, it, I. I don't know whether I deserve to be a comedian because I don't have the, I've, you know, I've listened to this podcast. I didn't listen to it before I became a stand-up, but pretty soon after I started, somebody said, hey, you've got to listen to this this new podcast by uh, by young Stu Goldsmith. He doesn't have a child. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Um, and then 400 years passed and now we're in the present. And... I'm losing my thread. What, you were saying to... you were saying about the podcast. I think you were probably going to say something on the lines oh. of people on this show often say that. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I'm aware that I ought to be struggling with sort of major mental health problems uh, and borderline personality disorder or something like that. And as far as I'm aware, I, I don't think I'm even autistic. There's no evidence that I'm autistic. <laughs> I just I just don't like making eye contact. That's a, it's a quirk. There's no I don't. I don't want to use the phrase, I don't think there's anything wrong with me because I don't want to stigmatise any of those things. But okay. I mean that yeah. in the best possible way. If you, 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 you want your comedians to have something a bit, a bit askew about them. Mm-hmm. And I don't, think I, I don't think I have that. I don't have serious childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I made a real mistake because I was nervous about coming on the podcast and then I listened to Janie Godley's podcast. Yeah, sure. You did. Yep. And if anyone is going to make you feel like you don't deserve... If anyone is simultaneously innately naturally funny and incredibly hard working 
mm-hmm. extraordinarily confident, which always intimidates me mm-hmm. because I'm not, but also massively generous. As mm-hmm. Jane, I find Jenny to be extraordinary as well as a fantastic comedian because that her kind of confidence, her kind of conviction that she's funny and she can do it, isn't all isn't often married to a generosity towards other performers and other people. And hers yeah, is yeah, well said, yeah, which I just think is fantastic. And so I read that and thought, yeah, I should just quit. I don't deserve to be a comedian. It should just comedy should just be Janie Godley and the rest of us should go home. <laughs> which during lockdown, that is what's happened. Yeah, fair. <laughs> So what I'm saying is I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. What is it then with regard to coping with things when they go wrong? Coping with things when they go wrong in the minute when jokes misfire or someone coughs over a punchline or a crucial pause or something. And also coping in the longer term when you are on the way home after a rough one. Mm-hmm. What are your, what's your toolkit for, uh, for survival? Well, mostly I just get sad in that situation. Um, I think, I mean, there's a lot of sort of uh, uh, spirits. What, I was about to try and say a French word phrase in English. Uh, esprit esprit d'escalier. De esprit yeah. d'escalier. I was yeah. going to say spirit of the stairs. Yeah. Um, because I'm English. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, oh, if only I'd said that, or oh, if only I'd said this. The situation I don't know how to deal with, and the one that frustrates me is um, if I am fairly quick-witted, like, I don't think I am, I'm quite a, a fairly serious person, I think, I- in general. I don't think I'm, my dad always used to say, oh, there's funny people and there's people who say funny things. He doesn't really talk like Bernard Manning, but he's from Manchester. And so I just have to kind of try and <laughs> differentiate. Otherwise, he's got the same voice as me. So I have to talk like that. He said, there's funny people and there's people who say funny things. And so I was always sort of thought, oh, well, I don't think I am one of these funny, funny bones, funny people. I think I can say funny things. Um, but what's nice about doing comedy is you realise that actually that's quite important um, and that there's, a, there's, there's loads of writers in comedy who aren't particularly funny but can write funny things and you, yeah. can make, you can make a living doing that and it's good and also, you know, listening to this podcast and meeting people you realise, well, there's, there's a fewer people who are really genuinely funny all the time but there are, I don't know anybody who doesn't have to work at it because yeah. you sort of imagine that if you can do it you can just do it without trying and... I really appreciate learning that everyone has to try really hard. If you want to do it, you have to try really hard, even if you're quite good at it to begin with. And so that that sort of reassures me. The thing I don't know how to deal with is um, if people just ch- chat to the person next to them. That's mm-hmm. very hard for me to deal with. In I was about to say in character, but in character is me. Because I can't... Often people are really rude in that situation but i can't be rude if i attack the audience people are like why is he upset what's what's mm-hmm. going on it's it's out mm-hmm. of character for him to be upset um so I, in that situation i just become a um a sort of a weak substitute teacher trying to control a room <laughs> which is way worse than that not happening so that is the uh, if if you've said something to me and i can hear the words and i know what you've said then i'm pretty good at dealing with that but the ones where i kick myself are when there were just a sort of table of people who were just uh, a susurration of disinterest, uninterest, I should say. Uh, uninterest is the correct <laughs> word. Disinterest is the wrong word. A, a susurration of um, boredom with what I'm doing. Because the thing with my jokes is you have to listen to them to get the punchlines. Yeah. And if you're not prepared to listen, you won't enjoy it. And that's when I'm. That's when I find myself angry on the on the train home or angry on the tube, something like that. And I don't know how to deal with that. I haven't solved it. 
Let's talk a bit about the character. You've mentioned being in character on stage. What what separates you from your on-stage persona? Or are you one and the same? Uh, the, yeah, I'm just a lot, a lot less funny. Loads less funny in real life. Um, more serious. Uh, I become... I, I, I get angry and tetchy um, uh, in real life about things. Like, things really annoy me. But I, I don't find... Some people are hilarious when they're angry. And some people... Some people's whole shtick is, you know, like, I don't know if Rod Gilbert is really that angry about torches, but he seems angry about torches and mince pies. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's funny that he is so angry about those inconsequential things. But I don't think I am angry when I'm, I don't think I'm funny when I'm angry. I don't think I can do mm. a funny rant. Um, whenever I've tried it, it hasn't worked. And so I don't do that. And I don't, I don't. I don't usually make political points because, for, for, well, for a similar reason, but it's sort of, I don't particularly enjoy people. Who, like, I've got some very witty observations about politics, but they're not really jokes. I don't know how to turn them into jokes. I know how to get them to the point that people who agree with them will applaud at them, but that doesn't seem enough. Mm-hmm. It seems like you have a really good political joke needs to go further than that. I'd rather just do another yet another joke about ginger. It's interesting. One of your um, uh, one of the qualities I r- most readily associate with you is that you are a, f- a phenomenally patient arguer of a lot of things that I agree with. So being <laughs> your friend on Facebook is great fun yes. because I get to see you bother to engage with people and bother to have learnt how to stay patient and never insult anyone and you're constantly sort of humble and kind whilst passionately disagreeing with people uh, I, w- I wouldn't say constantly i do lose my <laughs> patience uh, yeah no this, i mean this is something that if you have if you had seen me doing a show you wouldn't know because it's not really in the sh- you know my shows are not yeah uh, a, a meticulous deconstruction of political opinions i don't agree with uh, they're not that they're whimsical cavalcades of uh, loosely structured jokes that i like uh, but I do, I try to affect a, a sort of wholly full perspective on politics. I try to be patient with people. It doesn't always work and I lose my patience and uh, I definitely have got into uh, slanging matches with people on many occasions. And I, I've rigid. I've limited myself now to trying to only have conversations with people with whom I share enough common ground. There's no point talking to a flat earther on that you don't know on the internet you're wasting your time mm-hmm. but um but i will talk with uh you know a a comedian about a question like free speech in comedy mm-hmm. um and why i don't think it's in a crisis because because we share a common value about free speech in comedy we uh, like most comedians think that's a fairly good idea so mm. we, there's enough common ground for us to have a conversation about it. But I, I won't try and persuade you if you're essentially a bad person to stop being essentially a bad person because it won't work. And do you do you want to do more stuff like that on stage, given that you're you're on stage, your stage output comedy is sort of all about self-expression. And I feel like that's quite a big part of your expression of yourself as when I see it on social media. Yeah. How does it occur to you? I'm not trying to sort of force you into a, a a position you don't want to be in. I'm just sort of interested in whether whether you would be interested in doing that. Well, uh, being being right all the time isn't very funny, is it? Um, so I don't I don't think it's a useful skill. 
and also I increasingly realize that being right doesn't matter um, as as we increasingly exist in a world where facts are mild inconveniences at best and i i i think there there is uh there there is a there is a subtext in the stuff that I try and write, and it's it's been in the films that I try to make, and it's in the stand up that I try and do, which is about the power of fantasy and uh, whimsy and nonsense and imagination to to uh, to undermine and escape and challenge the real world. Because I hate the concept, I hate the idea that escapism is sort of an abdication of. Uh, our responsibility to to deal with reality. I don't think it is that at all. I think sort of utopian fiction and fantasy fiction is a way of it's a way of sort of doing thought experiments, sort of uh, um, empathetic thought experiments uh, mm. that that are really useful when it comes to thinking about the real world and the value of nonsense for tackling the, the, all of the the. The crushing misery of contemporary politics is—it's right there. What, what, what can we use to fight this? Well, we we can use nonsense because um, because nonsense hurts authoritarian, conservative, strongmen. It's it's a, it's their kryptonite is silliness. I think, which is why and I I know it's hack to do jokes about Hitler, but I still regularly include Hitler in bits in spite of it being hack because uh because it gives me great joy to be very silly about a terrible person to be very silly about i, I don't know where i'm going no 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 i mean this is this is a very uh it's a very good point i mean the value of silliness is really really important and i love the idea that silliness is the kryptonite of authority and seeing as the world appears to slide more and more into authoritarianism then it uh, it it is a i mean it's very optimistic isn't it it's a nice thing to think yeah i mean i'm not saying silliness. yeah i'm not saying whimsy's going to solve the problem but it is uh, as a coping strategy i think is extremely valid yes and i and i resent my I resent my film school tutors who told me the only way to deal with things is social realism uh, and documentary realism. It isn't. It isn't. It's not the only it's not the only fruit. You can do anything you want. The uh, what I found at film school was that um, nobody wanted to make the films that I was pitching, but I was good at pitching the films and I would put jokes in the pictures because I, basically I was being quite cheeky. I knew that I wanted to do that. Um and I would, so I would do a five minute pitch for a for a 10, 20 minute film and then people would be unenthusiastic. But they would it would have had a great response in the room at the time. And I was baffled yes. at the end of it why nobody wanted to make my film. And well, what I realized was like you can work for if you're, you know, you're making a student film or a short film, you can work for six, nine months. You can work for longer on a five minute film. And only then do you find out whether it was a good idea or not. Whereas with stand up as as we know, under normal circumstances, you can write something and you can try it out the same day. And so it's what I always find myself saying is it's a much cheaper medium to be unsuccessful in. But also, I think I've learned more about audiences from doing stand up. I've learned more about their patience. I mean, this rambling podcast might not be the best example of that, <laughs> but I've I've learned more about 
the the rhythms of how you approach something by having an audience act, react to it in real time than I did mm-hmm. from making films and then showing it to people after I've crafted it. But the interdimensional ABK animation, so at the, at the start of the show, uh, you, you can Google it and watch it. Um, it there's a, an I, intro. I cannot recommend enough that people do that. It is delightful. It's a Thundercats-esque introduction to the show. Uh, my tip, if you're considering doing something like that, would be to end the show with it, not start the show with it, because it makes it very difficult to follow if you do it well <laughs> enough. Um, but I, I started the show with it because I didn't, I hadn't learned that at the time. Um, but that was that was a weird sort of amalgam of the two, because the only way to find out if that was a good idea to do was to commit to doing it, which meant weeks of animating to for an Edinburgh show, which is not a normal way of approaching an Edinburgh show. Mm. Um, so it was incredibly hard work, but you can't just give people a half, you know, you can't do a, uh, an animatic or say, so I have this idea for the intro. Do you think that would be good? The only way of doing it is to just commit to it a hundred percent and then afterwards find out if it was a good idea. And the nice thing that I've discovered so far is the more you do that and the more you commit to something, the more chance you have of it turning out to be a good idea. Yes, that's almost one of the great rules of the internet. The internet seems to really value stuff that has clearly had a lot of time spent on it. Yeah. Uh, Do you think? No, 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 uh, yes, and I mean, it only got like 180 retweets, so it could have had more. Um, <laughs> but yes and no. I mean, there are wonderfully crafted podcasts out there that nobody hears, and then somebody will yeah. fall over in an amusing way and it'll go viral. So it's not, it's not like I think sure, there's justice know, in the that's world. Fair. Yeah. But one of the things that's really funny is... Um, wasting time. It's mm. really funny, I think, for somebody spe- to spend far too much time on an idea, to commit way too much to something, and for someone to squander their intellect and talent on something completely pointless is a hilarious thing. That's it's, true. That's true. That's it's very if entertaining. Look, if you look in terms of like Mel Brooks's thing about if um, if what is it? If I fall down a hole, that's a tragedy. But if you fall down a hole and die, that's comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know what I mean? it's something on those lines of paraphrasing but um uh but yes almost like even worse than falling down a hole is having spent months on something that's like that's a, that's a that's a completely universally relatable version of falling down a hole so maybe it is imbued something that has taken a lot of time yeah for the purposes of comedy is imbued with tragedy yeah it, yes it's it's that it's, it's the frivolousness and the how squan the, the squandering of of the the about, most valuable resource anyone has. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people say about, you know, like Python or Bill Bailey, the fact that um, Bill Bailey is obviously an extremely talented musician. He could be doing something else mm-hmm. with those skills. He could be doing something, quote unquote, worthwhile. But he's not. He's doing this and it's great. Python, you know, they could be being the lawyers and the doctors they trained to be. Mm-hmm. But they're arsing about. And I like that. That's that's part of the enjoyment. So talk to me just briefly about the the process of creating the opening credits for the interdimensional ABK, because it is like it's almost like, you know, when filters came in for uh, a, f- a few years ago, that's all that'll, that'll date us. If anyone's listening 10 years from now, oh, do you remember filters? Um, but there was when people first started doing filters that could make something look like a sort of bleached 70s Polaroid. Yeah. And like, is there a button you pressed that made that look exactly like the style of the opening credits of a mid-80s Japanese movie? No, the the button is being a genius and knowing how to do it. Um, That was a little arrogant. 
but no, 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 I, it's maybe, not. Maybe this, cut that on, out. <laughs> <laughs> on, in um, this case, I urge anyone listening to this immediately track it down and watch it on YouTube, and you will see. There's no hyperbole here. It's I think it is a piece of genius because making it look like I watched it, thinking, "What is this? Who has he got to done this to make this for him? How? Oh my God! It's him. It's about him, and it's funny, and it's got jokes in it, and it's and it's like." But it is still completely the thing. I think it's. I think it's a masterpiece. The one of the things that I think I am good at, if I can say that without being, without self deprecation kicking in. Well, it's fine. We've. I'm leaving in the genius bit now, so we all know what you really <laughs> right, think of okay. yourself. <laughs> one of the things I'm good at is um, looking at things and seeing how they are put together. I'm good at pastiche. Um, I'm good at. Um, I, if I read something that's written in a particular style, I can write in that style. If I see something that is uh, shot in a particular way, I can shoot in that way. And the um, I, because I'm interested in how things are put together. And so I'm interested in how those animations were put together. So I, I scrutinized them and I used software that is as, as similar to the way the Japanese animators would have been animating as possible. I didn't. There are all kinds of cheats you can use in computer animation to make things faster and i avoided those cheats most of the time to so it so it's it's split up into cells as it would have been in the 80s you know people would have been inking and painting on um on cells of acetate i'm doing it in a computer but i'm Mm -hmm. still layering those cells on top of each other i'm still adding a very slight shadow to those cells because the cells sometimes cast a shadow Mm. i'm still adding a little bit of wobble because the cells are being you know like uh, when the shoulders are staying still but the head is moving the head is being replaced or the mouth is being replaced. So there's a little bit of wobble. So that it, it, these are things that are too subtle for anybody to actually notice them. But when they're not there, you can tell that they're not there. And as soon as they are there, it just looks like the thing that it's supposed to be. Yeah. There, there are cheats and compromises. You know, I made it um, widescreen and not 4.3. So it, I, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a complete <laughs> commitment to, uh, to reproducing the Thundergat style of animation. But I... I also worked with Lawrence Owen, who did the music, and he's he has that ability, but for music. So oh, yeah. he can listen to how the music is constructed, and he can reconstruct it with the same sort of overdriven, distorted guitar sounds yeah, okay. that those theme tunes had that I know nothing about because I don't understand music. But he has that he has an ear that can hear how things are put together. And, and who did the who did the the not the lyrics, but the melody and the shape of the so, lyrics. So, um, so I wrote the lyrics, and he wrote the melody. Okay. So it, that's sort of um, probably because more that's him the than me. perfect fusion of of your comedy and the sh- the the shape of you know it's your words and the shape of the eyes of a human, you know, walk of a human, a human man's walk or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, that, I, I, I have listened to it so many times, but I don't I think, think legs of a human, a human man's walk. I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, heart of a tiger, heart of a tiger and eyes of a hawk, legs of a human, a human man's walk. Is yes. The first like that. It's just, oh, it's just perfect. <laughs> so, so, so that's me. That's me demonstrating my ability to, to write in pastiche. Um, but much more it's Lawrence's ability to, um, to make it sound like how those things sound. So he, yes. he didn't, the rhythm I was imagining it would have, I think, it, I think I wrote it to the rhythm of, to like the meter of uh, Ulysses 31 theme tune. Yes, I did the meter. Which is Thank ob- you. That's obviously the, the other reference. Of course, uh, of course. Because I look a bit like Ulysses 31. <laughs> uh, but he changed it completely uh, to something much better than I was imagining. So 
was that your Team America World Police, whereby <laughs> you did something, devoted your time to it, it came out perfect, and you decided, I'm never doing that again because that was so much work? <laughs> no, it was way too much work. Yeah, I can't do a, I can't, I can't do a, an animated intro for every show. And I'm not sure I would want to try and do exactly that again because probably it would feel like retreading the same crap. I feel like I probably wouldn't do it as well if I tried to do it again. Sure, but, because, it, but in terms because of... now I know whether it's a good idea or not. So the yes. experiment part of it, the fun of, am I doing something really stupid here? The fun uh, of investing all that time in a in a risky time sink wouldn't be there because now I know. Oh yeah, that would work well in a show. So now it would be a calculated decision, and that isn't fun in the same way. So is there? Do have you had any ideas which are even more heroic? in terms of the enormous time they would take. What 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 have you got on the back burner, which is like, oh man, next time there's a global <laughs> pandemic and I get six months, I'm going to do this. Uh, well, the, the, some, uh, the, I thought I'll just do puppets in the next show and started to make a puppet. Um, and so I was halfway through making a puppet of a raven when COVID hit. And so now all I have is a half-finished raven puppet uh which um i'm not sure is going to pay off in the same way but it has certainly been finding out how the mechanics of uh a, a sort of a mechanical beak work has been at least as pointless a time sink but i don't know whether it's going to pay off but that's what makes it a genuine risk the sort of the ideal thing is a thing that everybody everybody thinks is obscure Everyone thinks actually everybody yes. knows so yes. everybody thinks oh i wonder if anyone else got that that's ideal yeah. that's the um the, the the golden mean or whatever it is that's the that's the perfect you, you want to be on the cusp of obscurity um which is very much where my career is <laughs> always a good title been. hell of a title for, <laughs> for an abk show but that's where you, now that I'm, I'm already visualizing the artwork, um, sort of uh, astrological charts um, and me with like a, a sextant. Anyway, not important. Uh, it, listeners, a sextant is a... Uh, <laughs> I you think, know what a sextant is. I think is. a sextant might Everyone be on the cusp of obscurity. <laughs> Everybody thinks that they're the only person who knows what a sextant is. Um but I would never rely on the word sextant in a punchline, but I would mm -hmm. definitely have it there in a setup. Mm -hmm. um, or I would have another word in the punchline that told you what a sextant was without you thinking I was telling you what the sextant was. That's what I would do. What was I saying? I, can't I don't remember. remember. Yeah, no. It was good. <laughs> that's, it. That's, what, that's what's really enjoyable. Everybody, everybody, um, everybody bonding around um, something that seems obscure and uh and that we didn't realize we knew uh because it isn't just sort of you know the war games crowd and the the warhammer fans and the nerds and the hippies and the people with uh dyed hair and facial piercings i'm sorry i mean i mean i i have seen war games multiple times and i did used to play warhammer and i'm seeing now why <laughs> why i kind of got picked up in the rolling katamari that is your uh, uh, uh I, I never played never played warhammer yeah don't like lord of the rings either I'm an oh, enigma. You're a man full of contradictions. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> Why didn't you like man. Lord of the Rings? A little bit too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but you know, I um, I 
I regularly get sort of uh, well, that was very good from you know bald middle-aged men who the re- bald red-faced middle-aged men who if they are in the front row terrify me because yes. I know that they're going to be hard to w- win over yeah. and I do win them over because I can yeah. do that and that's that is more fun f- that is as much fun as making a show for all of the nerds I love the I love the the little nerdlings I love gathering a crowd of people but I don't I don't think I've um you know, I've I've had I've done two solo shows at the Edinburgh mm-hmm. Fringe, and I've done fairly good numbers on both of those shows. You know, the audience numbers have been decent, uh, decent to good. I can't mm-hmm. complain, but it's not like I have a. Uh, it's not like I'm aware of having a like a fan base, or I know there are people who come back and see me, but I, I don't think I can't tell you who it is that comes to see my shows. Anyone can come and see my show. It's for any. Yes. It's really for anyone. Yes, it really. I mean, it's mostly white people, if I'm being honest. But... <laughs> it is. It's white nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> it is white nonsense. Yeah, I did. I did nearly call a show "Sensible Jokes for White People," but I <laughs> I pulled back from that. Oh, that's that would have been a really fun risk. I would have been fascinated <laughs> to see what happened with that. There is there is something about you that as soon as you were booked for that preview at Chops, and I knew the the gang who were going to be there for it, I thought this is going to go down great. And that made me think, oh yeah, like I came away from that experience thinking, um, there's a, I can now start to see other types of acts who are wildly different to you, but have the same amount of, I don't know what the word is, internetness. You know, hmm. in, 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 I pronounce that badly. Extremely online internetness. Oh, maybe like a Suze Kempner, like yeah. Suze Kempner's audience are going to dig you. Not necessarily the same people, but the same sorts of people. They're a bit internety. They're a bit computer gamesy. They're yeah. a bit. They are excited to know about, say, Warhammer. That's not quite the right thing, but those sorts of things. They're excited to know about those rather than secretly ashamed of knowing about those things. Yes. Yeah. And often the secret is um, that the references aren't. I'm not going to do any specific references to anything in Warhammer, but I'm going to reference the aesthetic of Warhammer. Yes. Which you don't need to know anything about Warhammer to get. You go, oh, it's that sort of Lord of the Ringsy. Yes. Stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, like the, uh, one piece of advice I, I I had from a film tutor at film school, which I think was really good, not to imply that all the rest of the advice was bad, much of it was good. Um, I, I have no resentment. <laughs> so much resentment. Um, but one really good piece of advice was if you're trying to, when you're trying to think about what you should, you, you have an idea for a film and you're not sure if people are going to be interested, forget about that. Because if you're interested in a subject, then other people will be interested in a subject. Because yes. like the world's massive. Like, if you're really interested in anything, someone else is too. But also, your enthusiasm for it is engaging. So, the trying to work out what people want, I think, is a waste of time. I, I have no idea how you build an audience. But what I do know is that when I put my stuff that I'm interested in in front of a crowd who have not been selected, uh, a crowd of ordinary people... A lot of them enjoy it. It is mainstream and accessible, or I, or I've made it mainstream and accessible. It's not that weird. Mm. There is an audience for it. The challenge is reaching that audience, which is very difficult because I don't control the gateways. Mm. I'm not a mm. gatekeeper. I don't have access to all of the the channels of distribution of information. But when people do see something I've done, they usually like it. Pope Lonigan friend of the show says how do you slash would you deal with a really aggressive heckler i don't know i don't know how badly i've been heckled i've definitely yeah i'm not that bad at it 
I'm not that bad at dealing with uh, someone who's ruining the show. Because Do you have certain go-tos? Do you have certain I don't strategies have any stock or gags? Lines. Oh, right, okay. I don't have any stock. I don't have any stock lines or strategies, except that the except the strategy of not changing my persona. So I stay uh, nice and polite mm-hmm. in the face. Uh, but I but I might veer towards passive aggressive on occasion. Um. But it, I think it worked. I'm fairly good at being quick off the cuff. I'm fairly good at making them. I don't know how I do this because I'm not very good at it at other times in life. But when I'm on stage, I if it's going well, I can do it. I can get a laugh out of what I say in response to them. And that's usually that usually works. Like not not responding aggressively to them usually mm-hmm. de-escalates the situation. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. that I invite that many aggressive hecklers. I'm not a uh, a brutal alpha male presence on stage. Oh, you're not. Think... I've misunderstood this whole interview. <laughs> Just dropping some truth bombs about the differences between men and women. That's, <laughs> that's my style. You say I can't smoke indoors? I'll smoke indoors. I'll smoke nine cigarettes. Who's going to stop me? The PC police. <laughs> Ali Gibson says your comedy is incredibly diverse from musical jokes to physical acting out and models and storytelling. Is this from yeah, reluctance? Not, not ethnically. It's no, no, I realise that it's, it's diversified, I think is what we're saying. Yeah. Your um, extremely white comedy is very diverse. Please explain. Is, is this from a reluctance to settle into a style or just all the things you enjoy? It's just all the things I enjoy. Um, I don't, I think, I, I, I don't, I'm not aware of it of me veering wildly between performance styles. I don't think I have a huge range as a performer. Um, you know, I like, I look like a sort of wizard come Jesus hippie like that. I can't be lots of different things. I can't be bombastic or indignant or angry or threatening or sexy. I'm not I'm imagining you in a leather things. jacket and it's quite tough. <laughs> bombastic, the bombastic and sexy ABK 2021. That's the show. But I can't be any of those things because I'm not those things. I'm I'm never sexy in real life. I'm never I am angry, but it isn't very funny. Um and it's just I just I'm just making trying to do the stuff that I would have wanted to see when I was fourteen. Like I, I, I loved it whenever you know, I liked things like like Josie Long or um uh Reeves and Mortimer, where the rules of what it was weren't clear. So I didn't know that you weren't allowed to bring out a thing and read it or have a mask or go into a sketch. And that's what I liked. You know, I, I don't have any enthusiasm for the, uh, the purity of uh, just a man and a microphone. That's what's great about stand-up, isn't it, Stu? It's just a man and a microphone. It's always a man, a man telling you <laughs> his correct beliefs. Um, and that, you think, oh yeah, that's fine. If you can, if you can make a show with just that, f- fair play. Take yourself away. I'm not bothered. But I like it when people have got props or things they prepared or a song or uh, an image or a slideshow or something else. Because why not? Because if you can do it, if you can talk about it, why wouldn't you? If you're interested in it, why wouldn't you talk about it? Great answer. Thank you. Um, John Rivett says, please tell us how do we get onto the A timeline? <laughs> Less of a question than a callback. Uh, that is more of a callback than a question. Um, we, yeah, we can't. We're, we're stuck here. We just have to make the best of it. That was the, that was the essence of the show. Uh, Eddie Hurst says, do you see a creative difference between live work and social media content? Or is it the same approach in a different medium? 
Uh, I've got better at doing social media post Edinburgh. Um, I've done a, done a few tweets that have done okay, and I've gotten some more followers. Still not, we're not talking Sue's Kempner numbers, but, <laughs> uh, but okay. Um, and <coughs> I think it's, the style of performance is different. Talking to a camera is different to talking to an audience. Uh, I find it harder than talking to an audience. It's much more intimidating. With a, The fewer people I'm talking to, the more intimidating I think it is because it becomes more like a social interaction. Yep. Whereas talking to a crowd is quite relaxing. Um, wow, listen to my questioning intonation going up at the end of every sentence. <laughs> Are you a little bit insecure about this, ABK? Yes, I am. Um, but the, the, but the nice thing about social media is I can do videos and so I can use other skills that I have to be able to do things in my video that other people aren't doing in their video, just in, a, in small ways. I'm able, if I'm going to do a spoof, I can do a, a spoof that looks slightly more convincing than someone else's spoof would look. Uh, which What that means is that I get lots of uh, lovely lighting comments on my comedy clips, which is just <laughs> the absolute worst. Nothing, nothing is worse than someone complimenting the lighting in a stand-up clip. Uh, Paul Savage says, what's the logical end point for your character that's not live work? Um, thanks, Paul. That feels a little undermining. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, there's, I, don't, uh, I don't think um, I don't think ABK gets a sitcom. Uh, I don't think I don't think the the because it's just me. So I don't I don't think uh, that I have. Um, You might I'm not l- get I'm a rambling. sitcom, but you might get... I think ABK could get the interdimensional ABK, the show, a sort of quasi... A sort you of you might say that, but Doctor Radio Who. 4 did not agree, so <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, bloody but, you know, Radio 4. That's a, gate, that's a gatekeeper issue, isn't Gay it? Bloody. You've got to just make stuff... I've got two it. surnames. How am I not on Radio 4? How have I not been on Radio 4? I'm so... I could completely... Didn't go to bloody Cambridge, that's I why. I could completely visualise a... A sort of riff on Doctor Who type, a series of shorts at least. Yeah. Some, you know, you what you need to what you need to do is make some massively viral short video content <laughs> of you in the world going and interacting with stuff that then people get excited about and turn into a sitcom. That's well, the because surely that's the game plan. Yeah. Isn't it? I think there's there's two things because I I I like I like scripted comedy, but I don't seem I, I'm not trying to write stuff for me to be the main character which is sort of a lot of stuff at the moment that's being commissioned is personality driven i want to be just the supporting weird hippie character yep. and for someone else to be the main character because someone with proper acting chops to be the main character while mm-hmm. i can do what's within my range which mm-hmm. is this that's what i want uh, it may not be what the channels are asking for but i'm going to keep pushing it towards them until they relent um on the other hand there's like uh, I really liked Mark Steele's lectures and I'm glad that like the comedy lecture uh, thing came out on Comedy Central because I don't understand why that isn't a main genre of stuff. Mm-hmm. Comedians talking about real serious things, but in a funny way, mm-hmm. because that is something I think I'd be excellent at sort of doing funny documentaries or um, exploring a concept. Like um, I've long wanted to explain uh sort of like uh, do the the history of Western philosophy, like Bertrand Russell's history of Western philosophy, but with jokes to go, okay, well, here's, uh, but I don't know enough about it because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a trained philosopher, but to say, okay, well, here's Spinoza. Here's some gags about Spinoza. Here's me talking about Spinoza, but in a funny way. So it's funny and educational at the same time. That I think fits with the way I am on stage and would be of some 
interest and benefit to people, even if it, I've made it sound even less commercial than my <laughs> current stand-up. If you had, final question, this is my own one. If you had one quality that got you where you are other than your comic ability, what would it be? I didn't stop doing it, I think. Um, I've got, you know, film school friends who, um, and, you know, film school contemporaries who've like literally been like won the palm door. Mm. Uh, one of one, somebody who went to my film school after me won the palm door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have not won the palm door. Uh, I have won the, uh, Lester Mercury stand up of the year award. Um, but in the amount of time since then and now, Ramesh Ranganathan was already on TV and I am not on TV. So take that with a pinch of salt. Um, but the main characteristic that people who succeed have, in fact, the only imitable characteristic of people who succeed is having continued to try and do something. Now, I stopped trying to make short films and it's very unsurprising that I haven't made an award-winning short film mm-hmm. between then and now. And that, I think, is quite instructive because uh, by continuing to do to do comedy in one form or another at the moment that's that's limited to online but by continuing to do something i'm uh i'm infinitely more likely to be able to keep doing it than if i stop doing it and i don't blame people who stop doing it because it can be very difficult and it's very hard and it's very hard to make a living out of it and it's very hard to balance with other things like uh, like profitable work and kids and a family and a desire to live in more than one room in mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. But the, it, it's just that the easiest thing to imitate, the easiest quality of successful people to imitate is not stopping doing it, continuing to try because everything else, all the other stuff I think is a bit, it's like, Oh, well they did this in the, their career and they, they made this choice at that time. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's like when my parents' generation give me people of my generation advice about getting a job. I remember my dad saying to my my partner, um, "You want to print your CV out on good quality paper." It's like, well, that's useless advice. It was good advice, but mm-hmm. now not, now not only do you have to submit your CV, you have to then break down the same information into a form, incredibly with incredible difficulty, so that you can save somebody else time. Mm-hmm. And there's no opportunity to impress in that sort of way. That is useless advice. And I, I think I heard a, a comedian probably on this podcast say something like, if you're not making money out of stand-up after six months, if you're not getting paid gigs, quit. And I don't believe that that applies to if you are starting now, because that person started in the 1980s when there were nine comedians and 400 gigs. Yeah. Uh, if you are not making money after six months of starting now, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. You know, there are the... the don't stop... <laughs> That advice isn't good advice. You can't you can't follow that advice because those people were were the economy was different and the the the, the media landscape was different. What you can imitate though is that they kept trying to do stuff. They kept making things. They kept having ideas. Is that all right, mate? I feel fantastic. so. I've said so. I've been so nervous about this. I, I hope it hasn't come across too much. I've been trying not to be a downer on it, but um, but the prospect of recording it really. Having spoken about how on the level I am in terms of mental health, it really hit me for a loop. Uh, The the realization that I'm not doing stand up now. I've never felt like less of a comedian. Yes. Than I am at the moment because I'm hardly doing it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. The government have banned me from doing it. Not specifically, (laughs) but it feels personal. And just the roaring inadequacy and roaring 
I don't know if you can call it imposter syndrome. What if you're not actually good? Is it still imposter syndrome if you're bad? Well, that, we didn't cheat. we didn't really get into that aspect of it. Like, I didn't ask you if you were happy because I know you'd said, "Oh, you know, no major childhood traumas and stuff." And we talked a bit about <laughs> we talked a bit about resilience and kind of feeling sad about it. Do you is is imposter syndrome a thing for you? Because I know, and I'm so sorry, I had to move the timing of this, and I had to fanny around. And you know, when people <laughs> yeah, do you that to me, me with two oh, weeks. I really did, I really did, and I'm sorry. And um, because I I wasn't surprised to hear that you were nervous about doing it. I wasn't expecting you to be, but I wasn't surprised. Um, but we haven't, we didn't really talk much about um, about that aspect of it. Like, is that a thing that that holds you back, like the fear of being an imposter? Or is it simply just ever present? Yeah, definitely. I, I am happy. In answer to the stock concompod question, are you happy? Yes, I'm one of the happy people, which I guess makes me a, a golfer, even though I... Flipping hate golf. I can't stand golf. Oh, I hate it so much. I mean, it's not that joining in a sport, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's true. Yeah. No, I hate all the other sports as well, but flipping golf. Um, Yeah, I am. I am one of the happy people. I um, I am in a... I had uh, I've got a supportive family. My dad, who who only likes working class comedians, likes my stand up, even though it's middle class stand up. And I know he's biased, but I was certain he wouldn't like it. But he does like it. Um, so so I have my dad's approval and really should stop comedy at this point <laughs> because um, there's, no, there's nothing else uh, you need to achieve as a comedian, is there? Um, but and I'm in a I'm in a stable relationship with the same person I've been in a stable relationship for a very long time. Um, who is uh, who is a woman? I don't mean to use partner to imply uh, that I'm uh, on the LGBTQ spectrum, um, but yeah, I have the constantly oscillating self confidence uh, between extraordinary uh, arrogance and um, despairing inadequacy, constantly from moment to moment. And while working on stuff and during shows, that's the that's the reason that 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 thrill of um, being introduced as a comedian is nice because it for a moment erases that that uh, sense of inadequacy. It's a reminder that actually I can do this. You know, in some circumstances, I could be said to be a comedian, and that is nice. I really really like that. But. But yeah, but coming on this show tr- uh, really triggered a sense of uh, why. How do I deserve to be claiming to be a comedian? Why do I deserve to be on here? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm yeah, yeah. In the sense of I see that as opposed to yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but it is a barrier to. Uh, it is a mental barrier to doing things because it's totally. so many times um, I have not taken a risk because. Because you you play you play things out in your head, don't you? You go, oh, well, there's no point asking this person that question because they're just going to say no, so I won't even ask. Yeah, uh, and that it's that's the opposite of the don't quit philosophy. Mm. It's the opposite of the don't quit mantra. Uh, if you don't ask, then it's you, you don't get the uh, shy burns get knee broth, as they say, down our way. You. Uh, the ideal situation would be to want, be one of those people who's completely deludedly self-confident but also talented um i think i yes, think that would you, be ideal if you could inject something matrix style then if not uh 
talent, massive confidence. Yes, probably be yes, enough. because you can work on the other stuff. You yeah, can work on yeah. your writing. Yeah, but you can't work on your confidence. A lot of people will sort of say, um, you know, about another comedian, they'll say things like, "Oh, he thinks he's a bit good, doesn't she? Doesn't he?" Or um, she's she's a bit arrogant, you know, a mm. bit. Oh, they overestimate how funny they are, and I I never. I feel very intimidated by that kind of confidence, but also envious of it because I think, well, I can't resent that because if you've got that conviction, good for you. That's, that's, that's a, that's a key ingredient. You're, you're, you're already off to a great start. If you have that, that sense that you deserve, you deserve to be there. You Mm. deserve to make it, whatever that means. Uh, But I don't have that sense of deserving. I mean, we can't leave it there. That's too down and ending. But it was very final. Um, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I really, I really empathise with that. I've, I've become aware in the last few years that one of my biggest challenges is I don't dream big enough, and I think that's because it's that sense of playing things out in your head, assuming the worst, and absolutely minute to minute kind of chronic anxiety mm. of just going, uh, I'm, "This is going to be fine. This is going to be amazing." To oh my god, what am I, what am I playing at yeah. in the space of moments? very hard to deal with do you do you have any kind of uh mantras or or ways of resolving it do you have a thing you think to yourself on stage if you catch yourself in in that i think it's it it is just trying to trying to look at myself through the 14 year old me who just discovered stand-up's eyes and realize not only am i doing stand-up i'm doing exactly the kind of stand-up i really like So that was Alistair Beckett King, a joy, a joy to talk to him. I have a spring in my step because this morning I recorded a fresh interview for you with Martin Moore, a.k.a. Martin Big Pig, a fantastic circus and stand-up and cabaret performer and now mentor and teacher as well. Uh, that'll be coming to you soon. I suspect we'll do Colt Cabana next week uh, because that's been burning a hole in my hard drive for a little while. Um, remember, extras, 20 minutes of extra content with ABK available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders uh, and to you immediately if you're already in the insiders club where you can also get advert free episodes on your secret private secret secret and private feed um, and uh, ex- access to the slack workspace where we can all hang out with our purely metaphorical and not actual wangs out so uh, with that in mind i'm going to zip off will i post amble i always decide not to and then end up doing it so let's just do the thank yous thanks to nathan wood for editing the show jake crossland for logging music was by rob smouten and peter dobbing is your podcast consultant as ever um get in touch at comedianscomedian.com to find out more about the podcast comedyinsights.com to find out more about all the clever clogs presentation speaking resilience business um and uh, a huge thank you to sophie at lego uh for whom i did one of those talks recently and i was sent a little thank you thing a little corporate hospitality thing of some lego and i tell you what i've only ever i've i've never i don't really get sent free things i'm not really at that level of uh, of fame or reach or notoriety or whatever it is you need to do in order to be one of those comics that you go oh i like your trainers and they go yeah i get them free from xyz company because i'm a famous comedy guy But I tell you what, I'd happily swerve all the free trainers in the world uh, to be sent free surprise Lego through the post. So thank you once again, Sophie, and all the people uh, at Lego and the Lego people themselves. Do you do you regard yourself as a Lego person if you work at Lego? I would think of nothing finer, 
maybe it gets old after a while, but I would say for the first eight years I hypothetically worked at Lego, I wouldn't tire of describing myself as a Lego person. Oh, great. Uh, and I would also invest in some removable legs, <laughs> just to complete the image. Um, that's all. I've arguably got 12 minutes now whereby I can post Amblee. Should I use it? I'm trying to clear my desk uh, pre-half term. Uh, because half term is now a thing in my life. Let's talk about that. That'll be the post amble. That's the episode. But hang around and I'll speak to you in a second. Bye for now. And if you're hanging around, hello again. Half term is now a thing in my life. Uh, I said this to a friend recently. I He said, uh, how's everyone? And I was like, well, I'm all giddy because half term's coming up and half term hasn't been a thing for me for 20 years, but now it is because the boy, Boutros, has, uh, has started school and this is his first half term coming up. So every time I say, it's going to be a holiday next week, he goes, no, daddy, it's not a holiday, it's half term. And he's very proud to know the technical terms. But what a joyful thing. Hey, this is what I'll, I'll briefly mention. You know Sarah Barron, brilliant comic Sarah Barron's been on this podcast and, I mean, she's done other stuff as well, but let's frame her within the ComCom extended universe. Um, she was our guest. She was mine and Sindhu's guest for the final episode in this series of Child Labour, which you can find at childlabourpod.com or wherever else you can. You know, you know where podcasts are found. Find it there. Um, and uh, Sarah Barron was wonderful. Just wonderful. I said something unguarded and celebratory about having two children in the first 10 minutes of that episode. And she kind of went to bits uh, because of her... Uh, not challenges, but her kind of uh, dilemma as to whether to have a second child or stick at one and all of the attendant issues. And it was to hear someone so fast and articulate and meaningful. She Everything she says, she really sort of qualifies and, and imbues with meaning and makes sure that you're understanding precisely what she means. But she does it in a very fast and witty and sharp kind of a way. To hear the combination of that and kind of the damn bursting on this emotional stuff she was she was she had been holding on to at the beginning part of that conversation was really special and uh, my enormous thanks mine and Cindy's thanks to her um if you have yet to catch up with child labor thank you for all the um uh, all the damn it let's call it fan mail that's come in as a result of that it's been a, a great joy to have that other string to my bow and I hope we go on to do more series of those um but yes, where was I? Uh, half term. Some of you are now in lockdown again, for fuck's sake. Uh, more power to your elbow, all of you who are now having to cancel all your gigs at the weekend or cancel gigs you were going to go and see because you're in the northwest or in other bits of the country or the world, which suddenly find yourself under lockdown again. Uh, I don't know what to say. We're We're all right. I'm in Bristol. We're OK at the moment. And my feelings about the whole thing have kind of... They've sort of not switched, but they've kind of refined from "Oh my God, that virus is on every surface." To "Oh well, I, I mean, I, I'm happy to do my bit by not going out much and <laughs> all that stuff." I'm great. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to do my bit. I know people now, are sort of. If I say coming out of the woodwork, I hope that doesn't mean I I, ref, I imagine them as woodworms or any kind of worms. But people are people seem to be changing their minds now and. A lot of people are feeling emboldened to go, do you know what? This is all shit. We should just carry on living and uh, devil take the hindmost. I'm absolutely not one of them. I suppose I'm just trying to maintain my own unique brand of kindness without having to do too much reading. But it does seem to me that, uh, you know, you don't want to 
you never want to find yourself defending the government, <laughs> let alone the fucking Tories. I sent my brother, I sent my brother a meme I had stumbled upon of that, um, uh, you know, the, the Fatima cyber thing that's been flying around. Uh, and it was a meme that someone had constructed of Jean-Luc Picard not knowing his next role was going to be in cyber. Um, and uh, my brother texted back something along the lines of, incredible, isn't it? Fuck them, brackets, the Tories, not the Borg. So I think you can tell where our <laughs> political sensibilities lie. Um, and I'm certainly not defending them, but I do think that we are... Fucking hell, it's a terrifying, unknown, uncharted time. And if you... All I'm saying is, if you are... I mean... Uh, this is... Do you know what? Having said... You never want to find yourself defending the government. I'm absolutely not defending the government. But I do think anybody in charge at the moment would be having a nightmare. Because it is so uncharted. And the thing I keep coming back to, let's talk about this. The thing I keep coming back to is very early doors in the pandemic. I saw some photos on imgur.com. Huge fan of I-M-G-U-R. I believe it's pronounced imgur.com. Um, I saw some photos of people wearing masks in during Spanish flu, like black and white photos of loads of people just getting on with wearing masks. And I think seeing that made me feel a lot more compliant about the whole mask thing. So all I'm saying is that I am interested to see various people I know exploding with rage on social media and saying not, oh, my God, how can we be helping people more efficiently and better? But instead, oh, for fuck's sake, why have I got to wear a mask? My feeling is if they could wear them in the 1900s so can you you've got better ones now they're lighter <laughs> they're, uh, they're you know more cleanable and things like that or washable so i don't know um grow up is what i'm saying <laughs> and, uh, if you feel that that uh, applies to you then yes it does and if you're cross that that applies to you then no it doesn't <laughs> as you were do whatever you want i don't fucking care but i'm gonna keep wearing one and i hope that you are all managing to experience a certain amount of hope and optimism in whatever stage of all of this shit that you are currently in. Let's get to the A timeline as soon as we can, all right? Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.